Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. not bad. Welcome. If you're joining us online, podcasting from wherever you're at, my name is Bryant, lead pastor here. Um, Just quick note. So Christmas Eve is on Friday. Everybody know that? Um, The day before Christmas Eve is on Thursday. So just quick, like heads up, it's Thursday, Friday, not Wednesday, Thursday. So the 23rd, 24th, um, if you're clued in at all, as far as when Christmas Eve is, you'll be fine. So four services um, over two days. We'd love to have you here. And just real quick encouragement before we dive in. So many people's faith stories and faith journeys, and I don't overstate this at all, so many people's faith stories begin with a story of, and then this random person, or then this friend of mine, or then this family member invited me to this thing or to this Christmas Eve service, and I was done with church, and I wasn't sure what I believed about God, and then I came, and for whatever reason, however it happened, everything began to change. And so I just wanna encourage you, we say it all the time, but the stories bear it out. And many of you, it's your story if you're online, maybe your story that somebody had 30 seconds of courage to invite you, and that invite was catalytic in a whole chain of events to now you're at a place of faith you never thought you would be. And so there's somebody around you and they need you. In fact, in a lot of times people's personal journey or relationship with Jesus starts with a relationship with one of his followers. And so we say it all the time. I say it all the time. Like it's an alternative to church as usual. You should just come check it out. There's no better time than these next few days on the 23rd, 24th, all of them in the same services. Can't wait um, to preach all four, pray for my voice, but it's gonna be an incredible, incredible time. So um, that's coming. And then last thing, we start a brand new series on the 9th. So not, we're not back until the 9th. And um, I know Stephanie already said it, but I wanna say it one more time. Our bridge builders are absolutely incredible. And yesterday we had conservatively several thousand people on our property, um, a massive event if you were here. And it took not only what I think is the best staff in the world, just quick, humble brag, but so many bridge builders to put that thing on who sacrificed sacrificially. There's a group of ladies that I absolutely love. I won't call them out by name, but they, they were at, at the uh, cafe area serving hot chocolate and, all, and they served hundreds of people. Like I told them, they should have had their iWatch on um, or their iPhone on like tracking calories because those ladies killed it last night. So I just wanna say thank you to all of our bridge builders, everybody who served sacrificially and you guys can give, that, give it up for them as well. And so I know it's a little unorthodox, but every year, like, don't come to church for a couple of weeks. I know you'll miss it. That's a good thing. We'll see you on the 9th. And um, it's just a huge thank you to all you who serve. And then on the 9th, I start a brand new series called On the Right Track. Um, it's easy to fix a phone or a car. It's harder to fix things in regard to our life. And so there's a lot of regrets we wish we could avoid. And the reality is we can. And there's some ways to understand and make sure we're on the right track and see things in our own life that we're great at spotting in other people's lives, if you know what I'm talking about. So I started that series on the 9th. I can't wait for it. Um, so with that out of the way, you guys ready for part two um, to wind it down on the wonder of Christmas? Okay. 
So here's what we've been talking about the entire series is like, what do you, what do you wonder about? Like, what, what do you wonder about? And there's a lot of things that I wonder, there's a lot of things I wonder even in terms of just human existence and human nature. Like one of the things I wonder about me and just humans in general is why we consistently don't do the things that are good for us, even though we know they're good for us. Like, like what is that about the dynamic of who we are in human nature? And even to go a step further than that, like why do we all have stories? And I pretty, I confidently can say this. We all have stories where we knew something was going to undermine our own happiness and peace for our future. And then we did it anyway. Like, what is that about us? Like, those are some of the things I wonder about. The other things, like in terms of big questions that a lot of um, Christians will think about, but not even just Christians, but theists will wonder about heaven and what that's like. It's one of those big things that church people love to talk about. And what is it gonna be like? And you know, what, what is awaiting? And what's the age of people gonna be? And what are the relationships that we're gonna have? Like, and then non-theists are on the other side going, how could you be so naive to believe that? Like, how could you believe that there's more? How could you believe that all of that is reality? And then the weird thing, because I've talked to so many people and they're my friends who've gone through this where tragedy strikes or some kind of event takes place and all of a sudden they start wondering about a God they don't believe in. And they start wondering if there might be more to all of this. And so here's what we said last week, and this is just true for all of us. And if you're not sure about the God thing yet, this is, this is just true, but all of us have a frame of reference or a window through which we view the world. And we make decisions through that frame of reference We see people through that frame of reference. We interpret the world through that frame of reference. And all of us wonder through that frame of reference or wonder through that window. And the reason is because our frame of reference never gives us all of the answers. Like our frame of reference doesn't provide us with everything that we need to know. And so you're never gonna stop wondering. You're never gonna stop asking questions. You're never gonna stop thinking about the big things in regard to life. And and here's the other thing that a lot of us don't wanna admit, but I think it's true, is that our life experience, meaning like where you were raised, how you were raised, maybe what was done to you at a certain season of your life, maybe ways in which you've been hurt, some stuff that you've seen that's just marked you in certain ways, all of that at some level clouds and distorts our frame of reference. It clouds and distorts our framework and our our window. I mean, there are things, and and if you were honest, you could probably point to them, that at some level it has impacted the way you see people or interact with people or view certain circumstances simply because you've experienced things that other people have not experienced. And so there are times where your framework or your frame of reference, it's a little bit clouded. It's a little bit distorted because of what you've walked through. And so here's the story of Christmas, and this is partly what this series is about, is that God became one of us in order to clarify things for us. That God showed up in human flesh on planet earth in the form of Jesus, and he stepped to our side of the window or our side of the frame of reference so that even with all the things that we don't know, there's a lot of stuff we don't know, even with all the stuff we don't know, we could know where we stood with God. Like that is the message. That is the story of Christmas. And and here's the thing that is so tricky and so complex because it is so easy to get our eyes fixed on a million other things. It's so easy for us to have our framework distorted by a hundred different things that we've experienced or that's been done to us. And so it's why the author of Hebrews comes along in the first century to a group of Christians who were not getting any benefit from following Jesus. Jesus had done nothing for them lately. 
And they had a lot of questions about how things were working out and they were marginalized in society. And God had made this promise and there was no way that they could see that promise coming to fulfillment. And so the author of Hebrews says to them, and he says to us, listen, if you focus on all of those things that you're wondering about, because here's the thing, when you fix your eyes on the wrong stuff, wonder can easily turn into wandering. And you start to wander in many cases in a lot of bad directions. So the author of Hebrews says this, listen, this is the starting point. This is the epicenter for our framework. I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus. And you can fix your eyes on a hundred different things that are gonna lead you in a hundred different places. But if you are going to follow me, Jesus would say, I want you to fix your eyes on me. And the reality is for a lot of us who are maybe reaching for the back door or we're not sure about faith anymore or we wanna trade in our framework, which I totally get in a lot of cases, the reason that we're reaching for the back door in regard to our faith is not because of Jesus. In fact, here's the question I ended last week with, which I think is really, really important. If you are tempted to abandon faith or maybe your faith is just wavering, it's not like you don't believe, but it's just shaky. If some of your wondering has led to wandering and now you're in a place where you don't really wanna be, here would be my question for you. What was the faith that you lost fixed on or fastened to? What was the faith that you lost fixed on or fastened to? Because in a lot of cases, the thing that it was fixed on, the thing that it was concentrated on was the church and the ways that it's hurt you and all of us have our stories, a leader that failed you, the culture around you, the legalism that you grew up with, the unanswered questions and um, the, the explanations that just haven't satisfied your curiosity. But the thing that you haven't been fixed on, if you're tempted to walk away in a lot of cases, is Jesus. And so the author of Hebrews says, this is the only way forward to fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, here's what I started with last week that I know is true for so many people that are a part of our church or connect with our church, that the common object, objection is this. Even again, if you haven't abandoned faith, but there's some things you're starting to question, the common objective is, objection is if I go full in with Jesus, if I like full on follow Jesus, if I take Christianity seriously, if I fix my eyes on Jesus, Christianity requires this sort of mind numbing experience denying faith. And that idea is more prevalent than some of you in this room or online would recognize because those are the stories that I think right now, year by year are more and more pre prevalent. And it's kind of a hot button word, but it's so many Jesus followers deconstructing their faith, reconsidering their faith framework. And a lot of it is because they've been handed a version of Christianity that says, listen, if you're gonna follow Jesus, there's certain things you just have to ignore. There's certain questions that you need to not ask. There's certain things that you need to not think about. And I'm so passionate about this. And you, you need to understand this. The original version was not that at all. In fact, the original version and those that decided to follow Jesus, they did not come up with a version of Christianity where they followed and they believed in spite of what they saw or in spite of what they experienced. You know what I'm talking about? The, the idea of, hey, you should follow Jesus and just have faith. You're like, faith in what? Just faith in faith, which is basically what some of us, no, just have faith. Faith in what? No, you just need to believe. You just need to have more faith. And the implication is, I just need to not ask certain questions. I just need to not look at certain things. I need to deny certain experiences that don't add up in regard to my framework or my worldview. And the Christian version of the first century never offered that. Jesus never invited us into that. And one of the big reasons that we have so much confusion around this, which I wanna talk about for a few minutes today, is around the issue or this idea of faith. 
And I'm gonna say this with as much humility as I can, but so many people like me have stood on stages like this and they've opened up passages to explain faith and the intent of the original author was to make faith really simple and really easy to understand. And by the time they got done, it was so complicated and confusing. You were like, I want nothing to do with that. In fact, sometimes our definition and explanations of faith is the reasons that you've wondered and the reason that eventually you wandered or wanted nothing to do with it in the first place. So what I wanna talk about for a few minutes is something that you think you understand. This is gonna sound arrogant, but just, you know me. <laughs> but many of you don't. And in fact, you, we'll look at a couple of verses that seem so, I mean, you've heard them so many times and yet the application of these verses in many cases are so far off the rails that it leaves us more disillusioned than ever. So real quick, here's what faith is not real quick. Faith is not a force or a power. It is not some like divine lasso where if I just believe it hard enough, boom, then I'm gonna get God to do it. If I just have enough faith or if I just claim it enough times or if we just pray enough times, then ultimately I'm going to move God in some ways, if we're honest, I'm gonna manipulate God into doing what I want God to do. I just wanna tell you with as much love as I can, we made that crap up. That's not in the scriptures. The, the idea of faith is not something that you tap into. That would be, really, it's better defined as magic. It, if I just do the right stuff, and I'm being a little bit sarcastic, but I'm being serious. Like if I just tap into the right stuff, if I just do the right stuff, if we just have enough faith, if we just believe, the problem is we haven't believed enough. We need to believe stronger. We need to claim it. We need to believe it. We need to speak it out loud. That's a force you tap into. That's not faith. That's more like magic than the faith that you see in the New Testament. And it's not some formula that you figure out. You know what I'm talking about? Where, like, where we have this idea, and for some of us, we were handed this without knowing it, that if I just have enough combination of obedience here and then obey this here and then attend here and then give something over here and help somebody, and then the accumulation of all of those things and I do a quiet time, then God's gonna lead me where I want and I'm gonna be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous and God's gonna answer my prayer. And you don't find that anywhere in the scripture. Faith is none of those things. And so the author of Hebrews sits down to write to his first century audience that were struggling with some of their framework to go, hey, this is what faith is. And it's so simple what he describes, but this is, lean in for a second, this is so important. Faith is not the reason that we follow Jesus. And I'll explain that in a second because it's confusing for some of you. Like I'm really lost and I get it. Faith is not the reason that we follow Jesus. Here's what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. And you've heard some of these verses, so hang with me for a second because some of you heard them, but someone didn't explain them well and you never actually understood them. He says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. So real quick, and some of this is gonna seem 101, but just hang with me for a second. Here's what hope is. Hope is wanting something to be with no guarantee. Like you want it to happen, you want it to work out, you want them to say yes, you're hoping that they're gonna give you the contract, but it's just hope. Hope is wanting something to be, but there's no guarantee. Like when you're hoping for a raise, nobody, like your direct report hasn't come in to go, you're getting a raise yet. And if they haven't, you're just hoping. Like if they haven't given you the job offer yet, like you're hoping you're gonna get the job, no guarantee. Uh, you're, you're hoping to get a date, 
They haven't confirmed it yet. You don't know if they're gonna say yes. Like hope is you want something. You're maybe praying for something. You're believing for something, but hope is simply you want it to be, but there's no guarantee. And so here's the question, the underlying question as the writer of Hebrews starts off this little section and this letter to Hebrew Christians, he's basically his question is what makes us confident that hope so will eventually turn into be so? Like that's the question. And a lot of us confuse faith and hope. But, but what leads us to a place where we can be confident in what we hope for? Because you can't faith your way there. Like, I, why do you need more confidence so I need more faith? No, it doesn't work that way. Well, if I just claim it, no, 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 that, that doesn't work either. And so the author of Hebrews says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. And it's assurance of what we do not see. And it's so elementary what he's writing, but he's getting us all on the same page that he doesn't answer his question or he doesn't answer kind of the dynamic or tension that he's creating because everybody knows it's so obvious. When are you assured that something's gonna happen? Like if, if, you're, if you're hoping for a date, when do you know you've got a date? When they Snapchat you? No, that's not a date. When they text you? Five people in here got that. Um, like, when are you assured that you get a job? When somebody actually gives you a job offer? When are you assured you're gonna get a raise? When somebody actually comes in to go, okay, we've decided based on your performance review or however it works, like here's the raise that you're gonna get. That's the moment where your hope becomes confidence. There has to be a confirmation. There has to be a promise somewhere. Like when my wife and I have people over to dinner based on their reliability quotient. You know what I'm talking about? Because like some people, you know, they might show up, they might not show up. They said they were gonna show up, but you're not really sure. So when do we get to the place where we actually, if we're having them over for dinner, we're gonna cook dinner? Or in our case, like if we're having them over for dinner, when do we know that we need to order Uber Eats for like these people that we're having over to our house? It's when they text us and confirm they're actually coming over, right? Like it requires confirmation. And here's what the author of Hebrews is saying that is so elementary, but he's setting up this explanation of faith that so many of us don't understand. And this is really the definition of faith. This is where he's leading us to. That faith is confidence that God is and that God will do what he promised. It's confidence that God is and that God will do what he promised. We don't believe that God is because we have faith. We believe that God is who God says he is because of evidence that God has done something in history so that we could know. We don't believe in terms of just having enough faith in God's promises because we're mustering up faith. We believe and have confidence in God's promises and that it'll come through because God has kept his promises. And so the author of Hebrews is like, if you wanna know what faith is, it's not simply call it out loud. It's not name it, it's not claim it. It's not, you should just have more faith. Faith is confidence that God is and that God will do what God promised that God would do. And so he says, faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance of what we do not see. And then verse two, this, meaning that kind of faith, not magic, not a divine lasso, not a cosmic vending machine, but this kind of faith, I love this, is what the ancients were commended for. And he uses the word ancients, but basically what he's talking about in essence is the heroes of Judaism. All of those people who did extraordinary things, they didn't do extraordinary things because they were extraordinary, but they moved to the place to have extraordinary confidence in God and God's promises. When God comes to a man by the name of Abraham that we referenced last week, and he makes a promise to Abraham 2000 years before Jesus. And just real quick, how many people before today, before you were watching online or started hearing this message, how many people heard Abraham or knew of the name Abraham in the biblical story before today? 
Just put your hands up, real. That's crazy. So God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to leave your home. And Abraham's not like, okay, I'm just gonna do that because I have enough faith, which is a lot of times how we interpret that story. I don't think Abraham would have ever left. Instead, God comes to Abraham and says to Abraham, I want you to leave your home and I'm going to give you a new one. That's my promise. And one day through that home, that's gonna become something really significant in the world. I'm gonna do something that's gonna impact the entire earth. So I want you to leave what you have and I want you to go to this place that I'm gonna prepare for you. And based on that promise, Abraham moved by faith. In fact, all throughout the writer of Hebrews says, here's all of these heroes of Judaism who lived by faith, confident every single day, even when they didn't see it that God was gonna keep his promises. And then there's the story of Gideon where this is kind of the original 300 story where God comes to Gideon and he has 300 guys and he's outnumbered four to one by the armies of the Midianites and they go down into a valley and they move against the Midianites outnumbered like four to one with 300 men. There's no way that they can compete. And the only reason that Gideon led that charge, even with all of his insecurity, is because God said something to Gideon. Gideon, I'm going to deliver the Midianites into your hand. And I know you're outnumbered four to one, but I'm with you and I promised you victory. And so I want you to move by faith. And based on that promise, Gideon moved into the valley and they conquered the Midianites because God made a promise and then they acted on that promise by faith. And then God comes to a guy by the name of Moses and you know the story. And Moses is a wanted man. He is basically accountable for somebody's murder. He's raised by Pharaoh's daughter. So everybody knows who Moses is. He flees Egypt as a wanted man. And then the dude goes back And it's not like Moses can hide. Like everybody, it's not like he can roll into Egypt with a disguise on and maybe they're not gonna know him. Everybody knows who Moses is. He's a wanted man. Like it's a death notice to ever step foot back in that country. Why in the world would Moses ever do that? Because God made a promise that I'm gonna deliver my people out of the hands of the Egyptians And for whatever reason, unbeknownst to Moses, I'm calling you to do it. And so I want you to move back into Egypt at the threat of your life because I have made you a promise that I'm gonna do something. And based off of that promise, Moses moved by faith. Faith, faith is confidence in who God is, not because you muster up enough faith to believe it, but because God has left evidence that he is who he says he is by walking out of a grave alive. And faith is confidence in God's promises, not because you muster up enough mind numbing. I'm not gonna consider the big questions intellectually, just naive idea of, I just need to believe more, but because God has already proven that he keeps his promise in your faith and the object of your faith is based off of those things. And the writer of Hebrews, he calls them ancients or the heroes of Judaism over and over again says that they believed God's global promise 2000 years before Jesus even shows up on the scene. And they lived every day confident that God was gonna do what God said he was gonna do when he came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm gonna bless the entire world. That's actually the start of the Christmas story. And just to read these verses real quick, because they are so profound and so incredible. In Genesis 12, this is the promise 4,000 years ago. I'll make you, Abraham, into a great nation. And I, this is the promise, this is so incredible. I will bless you. 
And just quick side note, it's crazy. Cause I just asked you a second ago, if you've ever heard of Abraham and pretty much every hand in this room and probably every hand online went up and you're not even sure what you believe about God. 4,000 years later, that promise has come true. Everybody knows the name Abraham. We make up really stupid songs about him in Sunday school, but like everybody knows about him. And this promise that, hey, through you, I'm going to bless the world, but Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And come on, dude has a nation. You have a master's degree. Abraham got a nation. God fulfilled that promise. Like God blessed him. And then he says this, and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And don't just roll by this. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed, Abraham, through you. And here's what's crazy about this in the cultural context. Nations did not bless nations. Nations plundered other nations. Nations pillaged other nations. Nations enslaved other nations. They didn't bless each other. And God says, I'm gonna do something through you that's gonna bless the entire world. And the center of the Christmas story is that God came and made a promise to Abraham that through you, the entire earth is going to be impacted. And now 2000 years later, people all over the globe in every generation who've placed their faith and trust in Jesus at some level would say, because of his scandalous love and grace, I am blessed. God has done something in my life. And it is the fulfillment of a 4,000 year old promise when God came to Abraham to say, I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna keep my promises. You can be confident in me. That is the basis of faith. And 4,000 years later, here we are. And so he keeps going in Hebrews eleven thirteen, 13. And all these people, all of these ancients, as he calls them, were still living by faith when they died. Meaning they got up every day. And this is so hard to do. You're walking through a diagnosis. You're walking through a a child that has walked away and you don't know if they're ever gonna walk back. You're, you're walking through a marriage that's hanging on by a thread. You're walking through an addiction you can't get to the other side of. You're walking through some really deep hurt. This is very difficult to do. They got up every day, not seeing or knowing what God was doing, but confident that God was gonna do what he said and God was gonna keep his promises. And they got up every day confident that God was gonna do what he said and God was gonna keep his promises. And then they got up and they didn't see God at work and they lived that day and behaved that day confident that God was who God said he was and that God was gonna keep his promises. And all of those ancients died believing that those promises would be fulfilled without seeing those promises fulfilled. Uh, just a quick side note. All throughout the Old Testament, here's what you will find that is so important. You don't see anybody faithing God into anything. You don't see anybody naming and claiming God into anything. You don't see anybody getting together. We just have to have enough faith. And if we just have enough faith, God's going to do it. You don't ever see that. In fact, one of the most powerful examples that I probably um, rehearsed more than any other story talking about faith is this incredible story one day when Jesus is with his guys and he's, it's during his public ministry and a guy that has leprosy approaches him. And you know some of the context in that culture, but he has no income, he can't work. He's ostracized from society, he's marginalized. He suffers daily. And he comes to Jesus and face down, he just begs Jesus, Jesus, I need, I need you to heal me. I need you to do something on my behalf. My life is in ruin. And this is such an incredible picture of faith because here's what this man with leprosy says 
to Jesus, said, Jesus, Luke 5, 5.12, Lord, and I don't really know who you are completely, but it was a sign of respect in the first century. I know you've got some kind of authority. Lord, if you are willing, this is so important, you can make me clean. Not, hey, Jesus, I'm claiming that I'm gonna be healed. So would you do that, please? Jesus, I have enough faith and I've been kind of mustering up faith now for a decade. And so here I am, do your thing. If you would see my faith quotient, you would understand I'm worthy. I have believed, I have claimed, I have named, I have spoken it out loud. I'm ready for it. I'm receiving my promise. No, no, this is the definition of faith. I know you can. And it wasn't blind faith. It was based on evidence that Jesus had already healed people. I know you can. I'm asking if you're willing. I know you can. I don't know if you're willing. But I'm asking if you are to do something on my behalf. And then I love Jesus' response in this case. Unfortunately, this is not Jesus' response every time. Sometimes it is, hey, that's incredible. Life-changing, world-altering faith to believe that I can. And my answer to you is I'm not willing. And I love you. Welcome to the uncomfortable journey of following Jesus. But in this case, Jesus turns to this man and says, reached out his hand and touched him. And I just love this dynamic because in every other incident, you touched a leprous man, you will assume their leprosy. Jesus touched the leprous man and rather than assuming his leprosy, the man assumed Jesus' power and healing. And he touched him and said, I am willing. Faith without a promise is presumption. And that's uncomfortable. It's why nobody teaches that. And it's why I could get more views if I just said, if you name it and believe it enough, God's gonna do it. But reality and your life framework says it doesn't work that way. That's not true. And that's an uncomfortable definition because it leaves God in control. And just God is in control. But a lot of us, like, like the ancients, like we want to somehow get the gods or God to, man, there's gotta be a way that I could, I could talk him into, I could faith him into, I could claim him into what I want for my life. And yet the reality all throughout the scripture is God doesn't work that way. And when we start to buy into these promises about faith that if I just do this, then God's gonna do this. When God doesn't, it leaves you with no faith. You lose faith. And I am so passionate about this. And honestly, from the beginning of our church, I would decide that this would be one of the subjects I would talk about and weave into about every series that I did because I had met and, and talked to so many people who had walked away from the Jesus thing because of promises that Jesus never made. In fact, my, my like angst is a generation is abandoning faith because the church has signed God's name to promises that God never made. But I relate, like, can I just talk to you for a second? If you grew up with the vending machine God, that if, if, I, just, if I just get enough quiet time, church attendance, if I love somebody, if maybe I forgive them, if we show up, whatever, then certainly that's gonna come together and God's gonna see that and it's gonna work out. Or if you grew up with the version of God that bad things never happen to good people, of course you walked away. Of course you lost faith. 
Of course you traded in that framework. But the good news and bad news is God never promised that. From the very beginning, you're gonna have trouble. I've overcome the world and I can rule and reign with peace in your life even despite the trouble, but I want you to follow me and I want you to fix your eyes on me because God did not demonstrate his love and his concern by promising that nothing bad would ever happen to good people or that everybody would be healed. God's promise is way more full of wonder than any of those things. The author of Romans, Paul said it this way, that God demonstrated and demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners. And I love this because when Paul writes this, he was alive when Jesus went to the cross to demonstrate his love. And he writes it in present tense, that while I was still a sinner, like I was hanging out around Jerusalem when Jesus went to the cross and he knew me, he knew where my life was headed. He knew what I had already done. And at my worst, And God through the ages says to you that when you are at your worst, your darkest moment, when you hadn't even gotten to the regrets of your life, God looked at all of the landscape of your life, knew everything you were gonna do, everything you were gonna think, every bit of shame that you were gonna accumulate, every bit of guilt you were gonna walk through, every thought that you were gonna have. And at your worst, the darkest moment of your life, he would demonstrate his love in unimaginable ways by dying for you anyway, loving you anyway, going first, anyway to say, you may reject me, but I'm offering forgiveness and grace and relationship and you may never accept it, but my offer is here for you and I know you and I love you anyway. And my demonstration of love and the fact that I'm present and for you is not found in your circumstances. It is not found in your answered prayer. It is not found in the fact that nothing bad ever happens. It's found in the fact that I demonstrated my love for you at the cross and the best possible person in all of humanity died the worst possible death to let you know, I know, and one day I'm gonna make it right and I'm for you and I love you. The trustworthiness, the wonderfulness of God through Jesus was settled at the cross, not in an answered prayer. And in essence, he came to our side of the window or our side of our framework or frame of reference for life so that the one thing that we would never have to wonder about is where we stood with God. And honestly, like when you finally get to that place to fix your eyes on different things, all of the, I wonder if, or I wonder why, all of those are important. But suddenly wonder begins to change and it really becomes the wonder of his unending, relentless, never runs out love. And the ancients that the writer of Hebrews described, they were on the side of waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. We, 4,000 years after Abraham, 2,000 years after a baby showed up in a manger, 
We are on the other side of that promise. God has done something in the world. He made a promise to Abraham that through him, the entire earth would be blessed. That through all time, despite your circumstances, you would not have to doubt that in, in God's absence, that maybe he's anger or angry or that in God's inactivity in terms of your perspective, perspective that somehow he is apathetic. God would do something one time for all time so that we would never have to doubt again. And now 4,000 years later and 2,000 years after Jesus was born in Nazareth, in Bethlehem, a third of the world worships Jesus as savior and God did what God promised to do. And now he says to you, and this is the invitation of Christmas, I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus. The fulfillment of God's promise to the entire world and the entire earth and God's fulfillment of his promise specifically to you. That God came to our side to demonstrate once and for all that he's on our side. You never have to doubt that again, that, that in essence, he provided us with just enough evidence. Not to, hey, you should just have faith. No, 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 I'm gonna come and I'm gonna walk planet earth and I'm gonna experience hurt and loss and betrayal and rejection and abandonment. And then knowing what that feels like, I'm gonna take it on me on the cross. And then I'm gonna declare to all of humanity, it is finished. And then when everybody loses faith, I'm gonna do something that's gonna be marked in time and be evidence for all of the ages. I'm gonna walk out of a grave alive as a resurrected savior. And I'm gonna leave you with the hope that turns into faith, that God keeps his promises, that God has done something in history. And it's just enough evidence to believe while our minds catch up with the complexity and the majesty of his creation and all that he's done. Like, you know why I've been talking? You have had approximately, your body has killed 2 billion plus cells. Yes, I changed the subject. I'll get back in a second. Why I've been talking, your body has killed 2 billion, you know, much too, 2 billion plus cells. And then during that time, other cells have split, divided and replaced all of those cells. And with no conscious effort on your part, like that along with a million other things should fill you with wonder. It should move you beyond just you, that God has done something in the world. So like, what do you wonder about? What do you think about? What do you ponder? What, what do you wonder? Because with all that we don't know, and there's a lot that we don't know, 2000 years ago, light broke into Bethlehem and in a world that didn't even understand the connection between germs and disease, God spoke in terms that every single human being would understand. And he showed up on our side to demonstrate that he was in fact, in spite of us on our side. And John, who was close with Jesus, hung out with Jesus, maybe Jesus' best friend in terms of his disciple group, sits down at the end of his life and imagine all that John's seen and all that John wonders about. Like he, he's confident in God, but he hasn't seen any of those promises fulfilled. He watched the destruction of Jerusalem and many of his friends were enslaved. 
He watched the destruction of the temple, which was so dramatic in 70 AD. He's watched all of that happen. He's exiled to an island in Patmos to spend his retirement years. And he sits down to write this. Despite all that I have experienced and all that I don't know, I'm telling you, I was with Jesus. And in Jesus, there was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And I'm on an island, marginalized and ostracized. And I don't think I'm ever gonna see the fulfillment of that promise. But that light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And it didn't then and it hasn't now. And so if you've wondered and you should wonder and you should ask big questions, but if your wondering led you to wandering, here's the question that I want you to consider or the thing I want you to think about, there will always be things that you're gonna wonder about. That's not gonna go away. And you should embrace those and you should confront those and you should ask all of the big questions and you should provide, and you should create and find churches that, that give safe places to be able to do that. But even with all of your wondering, there will always be things you wonder about, but God's love for you should not be one of those things. That's been settled once and for all and it won't be. If you will stop fixing your eyes on institutions and church culture and where you've been hurt and where you haven't seen your experience aligned with what people said that God would do or the legalism that you grew up with and instead you would fix your eyes. This may be more important than ever in this season, in this culture. Fix your eyes on Jesus and the wonder of his love. Would you guys stand with me wherever you're at? Jesus, I just thank you for, for who you are. And I pray for some of us who've been handed a version of faith that's made it real easy to walk away. A version of faith that honestly has created a house of cards that was wiped out from underneath us the first time our experiences didn't align with what people said that you would do. And I pray that, God, you would alter our thinking. And some of it may not even be emotionally satisfying, but it's true. And for some of us, it is the framework and it is the context to not deny what we're walking through, not pretend that it isn't real and relevant, not to turn the other way or stop asking the questions, but it's the framework to be honest and experience all of those things and still maintain faith in Jesus. Because this is what you've promised us and this is what you have invited us into. This is what every single one of the ancients experienced. Many of them gave their lives, suffered in ways we can't even imagine, but got up every day and lived and behaved as if God would keep his promises anyway. So God, I thank you that you have not asked us into blind faith you have not asked us to take up some unintellectual pursuit or to throw away the big questions about life and humanity. But instead you marked something in history so there, there could be evidence that, so that our faith would have an object that would ultimately lead us to you to know that you are who you say you are and you will do everything that you've promised to do because we live on the other side of a fulfilled promise that has changed the world. And so I pray at this Christmas, 
whatever we're walking through would be a reminder of what the message of Christmas actually is and what Jesus actually came to do. And maybe for some of us, maybe for a few of us, it would be the thing that would ignite faith again in the midst of right now what we're walking through. And I pray this in Jesus' incredible name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.